Well, hello and welcome to Education Matters. Uh, our special guest today is Dustin Rawls. And Dustin is Outreach Specialist for the Tennessee Higher Education Commission and the Tennessee Student Assistance Corporation, known as TSAC. Uh, Dustin, welcome back. Dr. Bell, thank you so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to come spend some time with you. Well, it's great to have you uh, back on this program. Uh, You've changed roles a little bit, so tell everyone a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk about your new role. Thank you so much. I, I'm, a, I'm dangerously close to entering my 20th year of higher education profession. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's odd to think that I'm, a, I'm close to that milestone, but started in 2003 out of graduate school. And so it's a joy. I've worked at a number of different schools and institutions and administrators, including you. And so I've been able to use all those experiences. And now I'm going to go to, to work for the state. Uh, and helping students and parents transition from where they are to higher ed. So uh, rather than working for a specific institution, I get to work for the state and and help all institutions is the way I look at it. Well, that's great. And and you've worked for Vol State for a community college. You've worked for for uh, Tennessee Tech, a state university. So you've got a good background for this. But tell us exactly what, what TSAC does, what the Student Assistance Corporation does, and about your role as as outreach coordinator. Great question. The uh, the Tennessee Student Assistant Corporation, or TSAC as we refer to it, is uh, a part of the state agency, state governing arm that helps students from wherever they are transition to college with regards to all of the different types of aid they can apply for and be awarded. So that is, a, if you think about that and you break that statement down, that includes things as uh, helping students and families complete the FAFSA, which if anybody's ever done it or you're about to do it, that can be an albatross for families. So helping students and families complete the FAFSA, helping them apply for the Tennessee Promise Scholarships, the HOPE Scholarship, Tennessee Reconnect, the, TC, the TSAA Scholarships, Work Study Scholarships, any and all types of state and federal aid uh, we're the the governing agency within the state to be the arm of that process to help students and families overcome those um, difficult th- things to successfully complete their applications to receive aid to go to school. It's such an important role, and it is confusing to a lot of students and a lot of parents to uh, navigate that that transition time from high school to some form of higher education. It is. It can be very stressful, particularly if it's your first time to do it. They ask a lot of intrusive questions that need to be answered in order to receive aid, um, and parents are just unfamiliar with that. Students are unfamiliar with that process, and so the first time through is can be very stress-inducing for those families. And so one of my one of my primary responsibilities is to reduce the anxiety of the individual and the groups, so let them know that this is just part of the process. So do you meet with the um – the parents and the students in person? Do you do it online or electronically? How does it all work? Yes, 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 and yes. I thought that. (laughs) So uh, right out of the gate, one of the first things that we do for the state is we will go in and have these large-scale group presentations in high schools for, for graduating seniors and their families. We will introduce the concepts of the FAFSA, Tennessee Promise, the Hope Scholarship, all the eligibility requirements. We will introduce, I will introduce all these concepts to students and families, and then I'll actually return back a few weeks after that. We will walk them through in a seminar-style seminar workshop 
we call them FAFSA frenzies or um, you know, financial aid workshops where we will walk a, a large group through that. So I am in person to do that. And, if, and we're successful in being able to complete a number of applications on those nights. But always we will encounter students and families that have unique circumstances um, with regards to their, their income tax return or employment history or uh, expected family contribution, all those big financial aid terms. And when those things occur, we, we, we pull back and we're able to walk alongside those students and families to help them take a couple of extra steps that are required to successfully complete their applications for aid. And your responsibility is for the Upper Cumberland area. Is that right? That's correct. It is Upper Cumberland Plus. So if you you <laughs> and I are familiar with an Upper Cumberland map, um, some of my counties we would not classify as Upper Cumberland. I will go as far west as Robertson County and go back through Sumner, back towards this way. I will go as far as east as Fentress and then back south towards Van Buren. So it is, uh, I would classify of my 17 counties, I would say 12 of them are Upper Cumberland specific, but then there's a few counties in the far west and the far south of traditional Upper Cumberlandians. I don't know what that word is. We wouldn't necessarily call them Upper Cumberland counties, but it's just a great way to refer to the map. And so do you interact uh, before you go with the high school counselors or others at the school and basically you you set this program up weeks in advance so that students know you're going to be there. Correct. We typically kick off. Um, so we typically kick off an academic year, and we will uh, make ourselves available to counselors to go in and do PD for high school teachers and um, and administrators there. Let update them on any changes within legislation, any changes within the procedure eligibility requirements. We will go in and have some PD sessions in schools and start the process that way. For schools that we don't go in for professional development, we will send updated PowerPoints and slideshows and things so they get the information as well on changes they need to be aware of, how to best educate and advise their students for their for their school year. And then we will follow back up with these large group sessions afterwards with students and families. Cool. Well, that's that's um that's pretty neat. We want to talk a little bit about things that changed this year. State legislatures are infamous uh, for always wanting to make the wheel just a little bit better in their mind than it was. Talk a little bit about some of the legislative changes that, that impact programs this year, like Hope Scholarship and maybe dual enrollment grants. I'm sure there are others. There are. And so that's also a, a great area for update. Uh, there were every year the state realizes there's a, as you mentioned, a better way to administer um, their programs for aid, uh, whether minor tweaks here and there to make it more eligible for students or less cumbersome for families to complete applications. And so we're very grateful that a number of positive changes occurred in this last legislative session in the spring term. Let's start with some of the changes, particularly for the community college level. They increased the award amount uh, per academic year up to $3,200 at the community college. So that would be broken up over $1,600 per each semester for a total of $3,200 of uh, of aid for the Hope Scholarship for freshmen and sophomores. In addition to that, some changes were made for students at the four-year university. For freshmen and sophomores, they they upped the award to $4,500, broken up into $2,250 per fall and spring. That's for freshmen and sophomores, and they upped the junior and senior amount award to $5,700. Again, that's split into half for each fall and spring semester. So those are significant increases from the past year's award amounts uh, for the HOPE Scholarship. Just to make sure everybody's aware, since we're talking about HOPE Scholarship, there's eligibility requirements to maintain that. At the at the 24- and 48-hour benchmark, students must have maintained a 2.75 GPA. 
to continue to receive the Hope Scholarship. And the 72-hour benchmark, it gets a little more complicated. So if you're at that mark, I'm going to recommend that you respond back to me individually. I'll give you my email address at the end because the rules are a bit more complicated, the 72-hour beyond benchmark. So let's just stick with the 24- and 48-hour uh, benchmark at this point. And and this is sort of a tough question, I know, but uh, it's one that affected me personally. I, I, I had a wonderful experience in community college in another state back a long time ago. But uh, that experience included um, playing on the tennis team and a girlfriend and playing hearts. Didn't involve a lot of the academic side of the place. And I would have probably gotten in trouble with the Hope Scholarship. Now, I became an honor graduate later, but there was that time where I sort of went away for a while. Can you regain the Hope Scholarship if you lose eligibility? That is a great question, and yes, you can at the twenty-four forty at those twenty-four hour benchmarks. So you just follow them twenty-four all the way up. If at the twenty-four hour benchmark or forty-eight hour benchmark, if you have dropped below that, but any of those following benchmarks have raised your GPA back up to a two point seven five, yes, you can then be eligible again to receive the Hope Scholarship. And it gets complicated again, more than we can really dive into on on, the, on a spot like this. But after those, the 72-hour mark and every 24 beyond that, that's following back up with your, either someone in your financial aid office at your local institution or someone at the state level like me to make sure you understand the intricacies of what happens beyond the 72-hour mark. It's uh, it's an important question. The, the freshman year and sophomore year are, are exploratory <laughs> times. And um, uh, not everyone knows exactly what they're going to major in or wants to do it perfectly well at first time through. Very true. Mistakes can be made, but we hope they're just not so detrimental that it impacts the ability to be able to re-earn those scholarships that would impede a student from being able to complete a degree. So we're in um, midsummer now. Uh, what do students need to know about starting the year? What do parents need to know? Great question. Uh, I, there's, I would say there's three things. Um, for students and parents that have, uh, are, are, have had some problems with completing their FAFSA, some problems with completing their, their Promise Scholarship, their Hope Scholarship, there's been some hoops they need to jump through for completion. Um, you make sure and follow back up with an outreach specialist or someone from financial aid office at your institution you're going to attend and make sure that you get those outstanding requirements uh, finalized. Because there is a, a number of applicants are pulled for verification. If you get pulled for verification, your student hasn't followed up on their account to to verify that. Getting pulled for verification just means the federal government wants to double check your information. It could be completely random, or it could be for calls. There are two different types. Um, there are a number of applicants that get pulled for no reason whatsoever, other than it's just one of those random verifications. If a student or a family gets pulled for verification, you've got to get in and double check what that information is. Verify what they or, or, or submit what they require to complete verification, so that way you're you're aid eligible. Uh, an, another one is if a student has in their mind they've always had a plan to go to school A. They're they're they were going down a road and it always was the the direction was school A and life occurred something happened and they needed to adjust direction and school B their backup plan is what has to get called up first. They need to follow back up and change their school designations inside their FAFSAs and their, their, their TSAC student portal to move their money from student school A, institution A, to school B so there are no hiccups along the way. So if anybody's listening to this and you've traveled down a path and you indicated on any of your applications you were going to attend 
Austin P State University and you realize you're from Cookville and you're not going to find any better institution than Tennessee Tech, you need to get in there and you need to update your school code from Austin P to TTU. That's great advice. And we're going to ask you for some more advice after the break. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking to Dustin Rawls, who is Outreach Coordinator, Outreach Specialist for the Tennessee Higher Education Commission, and his specialty is the TSAC, Tennessee Student Assistance Corporation, work. And Dustin, we were talking uh, before the uh, the break about uh, a number of things, but uh about legislative changes, and we talked about the HOPE Scholarship. There also were some legislative changes in dual enrollment, weren't there? There were, and uh, in addition to that, I'm even going to go into some of the changes we made for Tennessee Promise after that as well. So with regards to dual enrollment, there's some really great updates that came out this year that I hope that if any of you are listening to this, you take advantage of some dual enrollment opportunities that weren't able, um, that weren't eligible or existed in the past one of the first ones that's uh, really great from my perspective is that state of Tennessee reduced the eligibility requirement from a junior senior to a freshman for students that want to take classes at any of our Tennessee colleges of applied technology. So historically, they were not eligible to receive the, the dual enrollment grant until their junior year, till they had a junior level status. Well, our TCATs, that's now been reduced to their freshman year, and students can begin taking the dual enrollment classes as early as their freshman year, which then immediately dovetails into the second update, which is really great, the state updated the amount of clock hours that students can take at TCATs up to 1,296 hours. So what does that really mean when you don't have anything to compare it to? Um, 1,296 hours or 1,296 hours will cover a number of certificates in total at the, at our TCAT. So a student, and, and, and let me say it differently, a, a number of students, if they choose this path and start their freshman year and continually enroll in these dual enrollment opportunities and use the grant can finish high school with having earned a certificate from one of our TCATs and go straight to work with a certificate that makes them more employable, more eligible for higher pay, a long-term career right out of high school, which is really what the Drive to 55 program was was is created long ago, the idea for it. And so that is something that we're very excited about. Students can start earlier at our TCATs and get in and get in and get involved. Another other couple of cool things that happened with our legislative updates is that um, the state removed the, the payback provision that required students at the community college. Historically, when students took their first one through five classes, they were paid for by the dual enrollment grant. After class number five, the students had to borrow money from the, from their future HOPE scholarship 
to continue to take dual enrollment classes at a reduced cost. The state has now moved, removed that provision. If students want to take dual enrollment classes 6 through 10 after their first five free classes, the state will just discount those classes $100 per credit hour. So it's essentially, and they're not borrowing money from their for future Hope Scholarship. It is just a it is additional grant on top of the five free classes, which makes it really cool that the families are really going to be responsible for about two hundred or so dollars per class at the dual enrollment rate at any of the institutions that honor that rate. And so that's a great opportunity to take as many classes at the dual enrollment level as possible because you're going to reduce the amount of classes you need to take at the full community college or university rate down the road, which is going to save you time and money. So the best advice, if, if again, you're listening to this, take as many dual enrollment grant classes as, as, as eligible as possible while you're in high school. Additionally, we have uh, lowered the renewal GPA for the dual enrollment grant for 2.75 to 2.0. That's a big change. Just academically speaking, um, we're going to talk about students taking dual enrollment classes. Um, these are, again, high school students. There is a learning curve that is come that goes along with taking college-level classes in the high school. To, to make it perfectly clear, these are not classes that are created for high school students. We don't, um, we don't lower the academic rigor for these classes. We just open the access for these students to take college-level classes. They are two very different things. So to reduce the required GPA to, to maintain it from 2.75 to 2.0, we, we recognize that uh, students need a little bit more wiggle room to uh, adjust to those struggles and rigor. Um, and so that allows for that. And then so that way we don't punish them and some that are not eligible for those grants. A student can essentially be a, a C student, be an average student and take as many dual enrollment classes as possible because most of us are average people. We're all, I very rarely have found someone that really lives with outside that average status. And so um, there's no reason for us to punish a student uh, that is average. And so that is the college level 2.0 is a C that is perfectly average. And so we want to make sure that we don't punish students for being perfectly average. The last real big change to dual enrollment, in addition to the clock hours they can take at TCATS, in addition to the the, the classes, that, the free classes they get at the community college and for one through five and the reduced cost for six through 10, students, if they choose, can concurrently take classes at both institutions at the same time, and they're not borrowing money from either program to do both. And so let me say that differently. A student um, can enroll in a TCAP program and use their 1,296 hours and also at the same time concurrently enroll at Vol State Community College in Livingston and take dual enrollment grant classes for general education courses that would then transfer on university for a degree. And they do not interfere with each other. They are not uh, pulling money from one big source. They are, they are walking alongside each other, and students can do those at the same time. So those are some great changes. There's just a lot of um, change coming out of the legislature every year, and these aren't all of them, but these are some of the things that affect admission and, and fees, and those are really important for parents and students, students to know. Uh, I, I thought we might briefly review uh, – some fundamental things that parents sometimes get confused about. Uh, in Tennessee, we've got we've got a lot of private colleges and universities, and they offer a, a wide range of programs. Uh, in the state, we have three kinds, primarily three kinds: Tennessee Colleges of Applied Technology, uh, that at one time were they are primarily vocational in nature. 
uh, and they offer certificates and they go by clock hours more than they do by credit hours. And I'm going to start this and then you correct it. (laughs) Then we have community colleges that are basically offer the first two years of an academic preparation, and they also offer a lot of applied degree programs. And then we have state universities, and those offer four years along with graduate programs, master's, specialist, and doctorate. Um, Is that an accurate interpretation? Dr. Bell, you are 100% correct. That is exactly kind of how we break down the three different avenues students can go through the educational system and higher educational system in Tennessee to earn some type of degree certificate uh, award that makes them more eligible for a particular type of career. And every governor that we've had has, from Governor Lee back to Governor McWhorter, uh, all the way through this program, they're all important colleges, so there's room for everyone somewhere in that. Um, not everybody has to do any college work, but for those that do, Tennessee offers a pretty wide range of opportunity. There is. That's a great point. Uh, if you look back at our, our governors of the last 20 to 25 years, you can see each governor has his particular position stance on higher ed. And right now, Governor Lee's standing firm on TCATs and community colleges. Yes. And, and I think that's great. As we've discussed many times, education is, is, is for anybody that wants to take advantage to have a life-changing um, degree, life-changing certificate. And it may not necessarily dramatically change your life, but it's going to change a dramatic, the life of your future, your children, your grandchildren, because they will build upon your education for their education and so on and so on and so forth. And we've seen it in higher ed as long as we can look backward that the, the first time someone goes through a first-generation college student, it starts a domino effect. It starts a domino effect to their children, their grandchildren, and, then, and by the time you get to the third and fourth generation, you've got a family full of physicians and lawyers and high-achieving academics that otherwise would never have gone down that path hadn't it been for the pioneer that did it for the first time. So we've got a great opportunity. We are going to talk a little more about it after we take a quick break. Welcome back to Local Matters. We are talking education matters today with Dustin Rawls, Outreach Specialist for the Tennessee Student Assistance Corporation, which is part of the Tennessee Higher Education Commission. And Dustin, we've, we, boy, we've gone all over the, the, the menu of what it takes to, uh, to be enrolled and to get some financial aid uh, in state universities and community colleges and colleges of applied technology. But we've used a lot of terms that parents and students may not be familiar with, too. So I thought we might just review some of these terms. Maybe the one that is the most hated of any uh, is the FAFSA. Uh, but it's a federal requirement. It's a really important uh, document. So tell us about the federal application. Excellent. The, the the FAFSA is very much it is a term that evokes an emotion, uh, if you're anywhat familiar with it. But the FAFSA is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. Um, so let me say this first. If you are uh, going to complete a FAFSA for your student or yourself and you've gone online, uh, you make sure you go to fafsa.gov. If you go to FAFSA.com or any other FAFSA website, they will charge you money to complete your free application for federal student aid. The FAFSA is free. So if you go to (laughs) FAFSA.gov, 
<laughs> you're at the right location. Free. <laughs> free. I'm emphasizing the word free. If you're paying any online site for your FAFSA, uh, I say this nicely, you've done it wrong. And you need to go back to FAFSA.gov. But that is the free application for federal student aid, uh, as I mentioned. That is the gatekeeper for all state aid. In, in order for a student to receive any type of state aid outside of the dual enrollment grant, that's the only one that's not required, they have to complete the FAFSA first. The state of Tennessee is going to want to know that student and parent has completed the FAFSA to know if the federal government is going to extend any money before the state will fall back and kick in any money on their own. That's great. So, And, and it's across all states, and it's free. Correct. It's across all states, <laughs> and it is 100% free. <laughs> so now let's talk for a moment about um, – some of the programs, the ones that maybe parents hear the most about, but you may have one or two others that we uh, jump in here too. The Hope Scholarship probably has had the most time on television anyway. So tell us about the Hope. Hope, and otherwise known as the Lottery Scholarship, um, it was about, I think it's about 15, 17 years old now. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's, it's about, about right. It's about right. Um, it is, it, it's, it's a wonderful program that allows a student historically that would not have had the opportunity to attend higher ed due to financial reasons. It's given them the avenue to be able to earn a degree where historically they would not have been eligible just because of the cost associated with higher ed. Higher ed, um, as we both know, is not a, a right. It is a privilege, and with privilege comes financial responsibility. And so when a student is able and or interested in earning a degree certificate of any type, but financially they just can't, they, they could not work it out to get there, the state saw that and came up with the Hope Lottery Scholarship a number of years ago that's helped students earn degrees otherwise they would have never been eligible for. And we've seen the benefits from that. And so that is probably the most popular type of aid that we have, most well-known within the state, the longest-running type of aid that we have in the state. And so parents and families and students particularly are, are probably familiar with how that, how that one works. And literally thousands of students, tens of thousands of students, and hundreds of millions of dollars have met up and, and have helped that student get through college. It's just been a wonderful initiative where – uh, on the the backs of many of our legislators and, and higher education professionals, governing boards and presidents came together a number of years ago and saw a need. They created a mechanism to meet the need. And since then, we've been able to change individuals' lives within the state. So it's been a wonderful, wonderfully successful program. Let's talk about Tennessee Promise a little bit. Tell me about Tennessee Promise and what it what it means. Great. Tennessee Promise is an uh, initiative that is probably the outside of Tennessee Reconnect. It's one of the more newer scholarship types, and it is what's called a last dollar scholarship within the state. And a, a student that uh, has, has, in, has indicated they want to attend uh, one of our TCAT programs, one of our TCAT schools and or a community college, and um, in high school, they have at least a 2.0 GPA. They're required to complete eight hours of community service per semester, and they're eligible to receive Tennessee Promise, which just means they're going to get a certificate or degree free from the state as long as they maintain that minimum GPA and they submit eight hours of community service per semester. So um, that goes back to Governor Haslam, I believe, is the one that initiated that. Uh, it's part of the Drive to 55 initiative that we want to have 55% of our population with an associate's degree or certificate or degree by 2025. And it is um, it, it, the idea is that if you've met those requirements and you've completed your, your free application for federal student aid and you have submitted your 
um, Tennessee Promise application. If there's any any tuition left over after all the other agencies have kicked in their part, the state of Tennessee comes back on the end, and if there's anything left over, they pay the difference. If the difference is $100, they pay $100. If the difference is $1,000, they pay $1,000. Again, this is only at the TCAT and community college level, but they will pay the entire tuition per semester if the student maintains the GPA and service, scholar, service hour portion of the program. Uh, another part of that drive to 55 was Tennessee Reconnect, and Reconnect was intended to reconnect people, right? Absolutely. This is the, the, the newest portion of the three different types of big state aid that we have available, and Reconnect is um, really trying to reach out to students and or adult learners that have either started a degree but haven't completed it or never got around to starting their degree because life happened. And so we are reaching out to those adult learners that are 23 and over um, that want to come back and either finish a degree or start a degree. To be eligible for Tennessee Reconnect, you have to meet one of the following three criteria, not all three, just one of the three. You either must be 23 or you must be married or you must have a child. If you meet one of those three criteria and you've never earned a degree or certificate, a terminal certificate, then the state of Tennessee will again cover your entire tuition as a last dollar scholarship. They're going to require you to complete your FAFSA. They're going to require you to complete your application for Tennessee Reconnect. And at that point, if there's any tuition left over, just like the other programs, they will they will pay the difference and you will have a zero tuition balance at the end of each semester. The only thing I didn't mention about Tennessee Promise and Tennessee Reconnect that's, that's really critical is it doesn't apply to Hope. It's just Promise and Reconnect. Once you start using the scholarship, if you stop, the money stops and cannot be re-earned. There is an application, an appeal to ask for it to be uh, reinstated. Um, that is very rare that the, the, the state over, that we will overturn that just because the, the program is so large. There has to be some standards that just are unmovable. Otherwise, the state would put themselves up for just a, a bigger bill than they have the checkbook to balance. And so, um, but it is, it is an initiative and it is a fantastic initiative. But once, once a student begins to use either of those types of aid and they, they, they cannot stop using it until they've completed the degree or certificate or the funds go away. Well, that's important to know. And, and it's, um, it's also important, I think, to know that these visions that these governors have had are coming true. Tennessee is moving towards completing the drive to 55, and we've got a, a, uh, a great completion rate going on in many areas, and um, we need to compliment all the higher education partners uh, who, have, who have helped in, in that. We mentioned one other term, and you talked a little bit about it in, uh, earlier, and that is the concept of dual enrollment, which can happen during the high school experience. So talk again about what dual enrollment does. Great question. Great uh, topic. If um, your student, you believe your student is academically prepared to um, entertain the idea of taking college-level classes. So we look at it. There's a couple of different thresholds that we use. We have a a GPA um, blanket requirement. That is, if a student has earned a 3.6 GPA and an unweighted GPA in high school, the, the we look at that student is they are college ready. They're ready to go in and take college level classes without any additional testing. If a student uh, does not have a th- they do not have a three point six, but they have at least a three point oh, we will allow that student to take a number of different assessments to make sure that they're ready to 
to take dual enrollment classes. They can either take the ACT and they have to have earned um, an 18 in English, an uh, 18 in math, a 19 in reading on their subscores. If they've earned 18, 18, 19, then they are academically prepared to go into college level courses and take dual enrollment classes. Or there's a number of institutions that offer their own internal assessment um, that they can take to make sure they've, you know, eclipsed the threshold to be academically allowed to take these dual enrollment classes. And so full circle, you just want to make sure um, students if and parents, if you're interested in taking dual enrollment classes, have, have an honest conversation with your parents about um, um, venturing into college level classes. Make sure that you're prepared. There's a maturity issue that needs to be discussed, must be discussed, must be discarded if you're ready or not. You need to learn and you need to know if you're a, a disciplined student or not. A lot of these classes are online now, Dr. Bill. They're no longer in person. Right. And if you're a procrastinator by nature and you're, you're, you've gone to, you've been in in-person classes your whole life and all of a sudden you've enrolled in two online classes and you're a natural procrastinator, that's a recipe for concern. And so you want to have conversations with your family, conversations with your counselor, make sure that you're, you've considered all the variables. Uh, and then if you're, you're academically eligible, then sure, go for it. As I mentioned earlier, recommend take as many dual enrollment classes as possible because it's going to save you as much money and time as, as allowable in our state system. Dustin, this has all been great advice. And uh, I know there may be folks wanting to get in contact with you. Have you got a contact? Uh, is there a website or contact information some way? Great question. I'm going to give you two different ways. I'm going to give you our general, uh, a, a great site for you to go to and visit for more information on all the programs and initiatives, initiatives discussed today. Uh, that website is college4tn.org. The four is not the number four, so it's college, F-O-R, tn.org. Please visit there. But if you want to follow up with me individually, you're more than welcome to do so. My email address is Dustin, D-U-S-T-I-N dot Rawls, R-A-W-L-S at tn.gov. Again, it's Dustin dot Rawls at tn.gov. Dustin, it's been an honor to have you on the program. You've shared a lot of information and we'll get you back soon to talk some more about these important topics. Thank you so much, Dr. Bell.